Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. I'm Tim Williams and I'm your host of the Grimshaw Podcast Series about culture and the city. My really excellent and rather fun guest this week is Mark Davey, the founder of Future City, a global cultural placemaking agency based in London but working internationally. Uh, Mark's been doing things recently like the development of a prospectus for the new Arts Quarter in London's famous West End and brokering cultural partnerships internationally, for example, between the Pompidou Centre in Paris um, and an international developer, Bureau International, working uh, out of Melbourne to create something in the arts precinct of Melbourne. So this is about what the role that cities play in culture, culture placemaking, uh, and the re- the importance going forward, perhaps even more important going forward, of the cultural assets of a city in its competitiveness internationally. Great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Here's Mark Davey. Uh, Mark Davey, uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, we've... Um... It's, it's. It used to be that August was a quiet month, wasn't it, for work? But it seems the opposite now. It seems to be insanely busy. And oh well, we're going to talk about this because I like to hear people um, busy, though not necessarily insanely so. But I'll come back to that. Yeah, uh, but uh, maybe two and a half years of comparative difficulty. People are exploding into into activity now. I I hope so. So look, first and foremost, right, Mark Davy, founder uh, of uh, Future City. Uh, so th- this series of, of podcast interviews is all about culture and the city. So who better to talk to, it seemed to me, than the founder of something called Future City. And I look at your website, and I love your website, and it says it says that you are, plausibly, I think, it says that you are uh, a, 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 was it a cultural placemaking consultancy, right? Yes. Yes. So let's start yeah. there. What is that? Okay. Who are you, Mark Davy? Justify yourself. Oh, God. You know, uh, do you know this expression, the elevator pitch, where you're supposed to be able to tell someone what you do in a, by the time you reach the bottom of the of lift or the elevator? And I, I and I, I'm, my, my elevator will be about 250 floors because I, right. I've never found it very easy to kind of capture. So I'll give you a little kind of background. Maybe that makes it easier. So I, so I come from a, so I was a fine artist, I studied fine art, and, and, but I was very interested in architecture. I studied, I studied at a really great school, Canterbury, uh, which had a brilliant architectural school. And uh, I spent more time there than I did in the fine art studios. And I really, my work at that time as a practicing artist was very much about architecture, ideas and urbanism and systems. Anyway, sort of rolling forward, as it were, I, I eventually taught art school, became head of research at uh, what is now the University of Creative Arts in Kent. And I sort of just began, I did less and less painting, I suppose, work and research. And I, I just got very interested in this idea of culture and cities. And I met some developers and I, it really kind of occurred to me at the time of just how lacking it was in terms of what I would call the difference between hardware and software you know they knew how to build things and those things could sell especially in sort of residential in the sort of early noughties and i just felt there was this you know i didn't obviously didn't just hit me in one go but gradually it kind of occurred to me that the idea of culture was just so alien to to a system that's so compartmentalized so structured in terms of delivering the 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 product that there was this sort of gap. And so I, I kind of slipped into this idea of, of an agency that could sort of sit equally at the table alongside the architects and the highways engineers and so on and sort of offer something extra. And, and that's kind of how it started. So a few cities started, we worked with developers on fairly major schemes, um, but it's grown now 15 years later, we're in our 15th year actually this year. It's sort of grown into something you know, really quite interesting. And it, it's not the, the hardest thing of the elevator pitch is difficult because we, we don't really do one thing. We sort of, we are whatever that project might throw up. We will probably have a, some sort of opinion on it and we'll bring in members of a, of a kind of wide team to sort of deal with it. So so the, the easy, the key word so far would be culture's in there somewhere. Development is in there somewhere. You work yeah. in the private sector as well as the public sector and sometimes between the two. Uh, and um, so, but let's go back to that phrase that is on your website. So I, I do challenge you to justify this phrase, the cultural placemaking consultancy. Let's do that one first. What, yeah. what, what's in your head for that? 
Yeah, so uh, let's think of a typical project or a large project at the moment. Wembley Park, uh, a huge build-to-rent scheme, Quintain are the developers, Lone Star were the funders. They, they're building, I think it's around eight to 10,000 units for this new market, you know, the build-to-rent market, huge in the UK. Um, and we were brought in quite early on um, because I guess there was a sense of like, we know where we are. We're in Brent, which is this borough on the edge of London, if you like. You could argue it's a suburban borough. But we're probably offering quite an urban idea. You know, we've got the, we've got the, uh, the Wembley Arena, we've got Wembley Stadium. But those, they're kind of old objects. They only work when they switched on and off. So you've got this huge area of space uh, that's empty a lot of the time so future city the agency as it were in this case would say okay physically where are we what policies are, are relevant to where we are i mean for instance there's a west london alliance it's made up of five of the boroughs trying to counter the what's perceived as the influence of funding going east to stratford and the east end so this so the first thing we're saying to our, our client is Look, you know, you should be a part of something much bigger here. This West London Alliance, you are in the middle of it. But what's your role? Secondly, you're part of a borough, Brent, a hugely diverse borough, amazing place, actually. You know, multicultural language, every language you've ever heard is, is there. Um, and so the first thing for them was to say, look, let's just think of what your role is. And what, what we came up with was this idea of the creative district that effectively all decisions in, at Wembley Park by that team should have some sort of cultural output and and that so the idea being that this was a highly creative place but the cultural elements of this music art public art stu artist studios creative industry clusters all the things perhaps that make culture interesting in cities they've got to provide it because it's not there it doesn't exist so this is kind of a new move I think by developers generally to realizing that they can't just rely on what's around the edge of their red line. They've got increasingly are going to have to provide that, that content. So the strategy led to Royal Philharmonic Orchestra moving to the site, clustering of the creative industries, and even really interesting things. So uh, for instance, we know there was a decision about the, uh, the very famous Olympic way that if you've, you know, if, if you've been to football or, or other sports in London and gone to the, Wembley, Wembley um, Stadium, you know, you'll have done that classic iconic walk, but it's actually a fairly grim piece of sort of public realm. And one of their decisions was to upgrade it. So internally within a classic developer position would be, let's get a landscape architect to, uh, to, to make it nicer. Let's make it a, a nicer experience. What we were saying was, no, it's not, that's not enough. It needs to be a cultural experience. You need to design it so that it can do big things. So it's become the place where big happens load bearing points audio points in lampposts uh, the ability to put banners onto onto things to the the steps where you can sit and, and watch events so what gradual what we'll do i guess that is is we'll sit in the middle of that design team and we'll the horizontal line to those vertical lines you know you've got your highways engineers and your architects and your landscape architects and all the rest of the classic sort of development team and we will be a horizontal line we'll just move backwards and forwards across them joining things up trying to connect it to bigger things always trying to create some authentic idea or connection to something beyond their you know their experience of what a development should be but one thing that's going on in my head thinking about this is that um do people contract you with a clear idea of what they want from you because this is this what you've just ex expressed strikes me as a very creative strategic but actually quite opportunistic kind of as well where you know, whereas sometimes, dreadfully, you know, either the public sector or the private sector has a very narrow box in which they, they'll say culture. You know, we've got to do something yeah. about culture. Yeah. Uh, so, how does it work? Are, are you have you are you lucky enough to have like more open ended contracts? Is it the time at which you enter that's important? You know, you, you don't. It's not like you're there when the the planning of application has been approved already and this is just a bit of extra like developer contribution kind of stuff how do you get involved in a more creative way mark i'm quite interested in that i think i was fortunate then and first when i when we first when i first started doing this i the first big project that we got involved in was with barclay group uh grosvenor waterside in and they're, um, a housing, they're a housing for those who don't know they're a housing development company largely in the southeast i would think in in the uk yeah absolutely. And, and, and big in the southeast 
huge. I mean, yeah. absolutely huge. You've got multiple companies within the Barclay Group, St. George, St. James, St. Edwards. After, sometimes with partnerships like with the with other land, with landowners like Thames Water providing land and funding coming through um, St. St. James or the Barclay Group. But huge, you know, and and quite tough you know a tough company to be involved in so I, I got involved in a couple of projects with them and it was really interesting for me because i realized just how out of well how how much the cultural sector was completely separate from this world so there i was chasing research grants and arts council bids and all the rest of it and using that language that we use in our sector and i would suddenly go into a, a site office with sort of 30 uh, you know, <laughs> property professionals, yeah. and it was kind of, I, I, I'll, say this, I'll say this in a kind of uh, discreet way, but it was seriously aggressive and quite quite difficult. Very challenging, when I, came I would in. think. You, you had to prove yourself, I would think. My, well, you know, it's that classic thing where it goes around the table and you will introduce yourself, and I think at the time I called myself an art consultant, so it was a bit like, you know, mm -hmm. and I am the art consultant, <laughs> and I flung my beret into the middle of the room. That's right, that's like, that's like being a ballet coach in a, you know... <laughs> At the time, it been, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sound of the sound of upper lips curling, yeah, yeah. and it was it was just uh, really difficult. But I realised it was more my problem than theirs because they were kind of fairly comfortable in their world. They knew how to do what they do. Yeah, what I offered was so abstract, and 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 at that time, you know, you had this uh, London, you know, this UK thing, the one hundred and six, with sort of a plan, develop, a developer contribution thing, which is the yeah. You know, in New South Wales, they have a session ninety four. Same sort of thing. That's right. And it was being used for everything, but but sometimes for art. And it was, and, and no one wanted to do it. And it was always a, a ridiculous a small amount of money. Yeah. So I, I think, but what what was great about about working with the Barclay Group because to survive in that in that group really required me to, me to make a lot of effort to make Future City um, something that was taken seriously at the table. I mean, I've always wanted to feel that Future City sits next to. Grimshaw or no, sits next to Gross Max or whoever the, the we sit there as equals. We were not the art consultant under sufferance, but that required me to do a lot of work from with the business to toughen up in order to be in there. But of course, the riches for the art world were incredible because I I could challenge whether a bridge should be a bridge or it could be a sculpture you can walk across. That could be a fifteen million pound project. The facade had a pattern on it could it be an art could an artist work on that instead of it just being a random design so what was amazing for me was like so just kept, i just kept pushing and pushing and challenging and challenging and as long as i could deliver as long as i you know could you know took took responsibility for my my ideas and for, for my uh, for you know for suggestions there didn't seem to be much pushback so that in the through the sort of mid noughties up to about 2007 we were really um, doing these endless big Barclays projects, mostly residential, a little bit of ground floor commercial. But then we suddenly won a couple of larger projects um, with Greenwich Peninsula, uh, um, which was is a night dragon scheme uh, in London on, on by the, where the, if you know the O2. Um, yeah, it's this side. is uh, at the near Canary Wharf. This is uh, this almost like the second phase of Canary Wharf at Greenwich peninsula it's the same part of town anyway it's it's on the other side of the of the river that's right and and this was a huge uh, i mean it's, it is still is a huge scheme and yeah. that and also um we worked with the uh, irish developer ballymore yeah on a couple of big projects but particularly city island where the english national ballet have now moved again through a sort of future city strategy to to a res what is effectively a residential site so we suddenly started to get some interesting some new developer clients, uh, different types of kind of ideas around mixed use, often in brownfield and industrial sites, um, a lot of sort of that, that's kind of edge London and edge city city work. And of course, you know, as I say, we, we were starting to build up a really interesting team and we're just constantly challenged. So again, a great example of that would be on the uh, Greenwich Peninsula site. We were, it's a, I, I live in, I was at that time lived in Greenwich and it's North Greenwich is, no one knows where it is. I mean, the O2 is there, but I, you know, everyone, the amount of times you would go to the O2 in a year, once, once every two years. So what we were looking for were trends that would get large numbers of people down to this place. And one of, we were, I think we were talking to the Nike Foundation and we're looking at sort of future trends around health, well-being, sport, and so on. And there was almost a sort of joking sort of reference saying, could you get a 5K run on there, on the site? And uh, I said, well, why? And he said, well, it's like the ultimate charity run. If you can 
create a 5k line. So anyway, we I sort of rushed off and we got we we sort of worked out that you could get 5k on there. It, it was a way of doing it. We then went back to the client and said, look, you know, instead of a landscape traditional landscape solution, why don't we have this five kilometer sculptural line? And so what, again, the thing that we always do is we're always using artists, creatives as part of our thinking. So could this be a huge physical sculptural intervention? And, um, and it, it's there, you know, so if you go there now, the, the first section is in, the Tide, it's now called, um, was delivered by Grossmax and others. And, and, and in fact, so they, there we are, we influenced a major piece of infrastructure, and that is effectively then becomes a sort of cultural project. And that will now bring, you know, when it's finished, you'll see it as you fly into London, it will bring, you know, thousands of people down there to run. They'll share that on Fitbits and so on. So I guess it's that thing of, can you put a narrative into something which once wouldn't have had a, a story? It would have just been, here is the bridge that joins the two points. Well, what struck me about listening to this, and I'd never sort of put this together before, and I might be simplifying, you need to tell me off, because my capacity to simplify is pretty, is one of my great weaknesses, is the uh, is that you were creating value uh for um but at, at an early enough stage where you seem to be part of the discussion about what to build in this place rather than just come in at the end of the process so that you you help give them ideas and imagination that help attract investment and people to go there it, i think what i'm saying also is some of the things that you've done you know you've worked with um hard-nosed developers in hard places right some I mean, Wembley's not an easy place. It's not a romantic place, you know. Uh, Greenwich Peninsula, whatever the opposite of a romantic place in 1997, that would be it, right? So, so the so these are like deep things about making a place have a new appeal, have a new identity, even uh, in the well, market, in the market, right? Is that is that right that you've done a lot of that kind of work? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good way of, dis of describing it because, you know, obviously the centre of London where the values are, are are saturated. And so what's gradually happened in London is the, as in most cities actually, is that you move out from the centre ever ever further out. Well, of course, you know, even, even in a city as big as London, there is a point at which the urban experience starts to change to a suburban experience. And then, of course, you go out to areas which were never meant to be residential areas, and they are—they were the old sort of industrial sites and so on. So, um, so, and I think this is is the big. Pro I still think it's a problem. Um, it, it's that in a in an in a um, business that's so good at knowing how to build things, it knows how to put the roads in, it knows how to source the cheapest rivets from wherever. It's got systems that are so good at doing it. When it comes to stuff. You know content um it sort of goes a bit pear-shaped really and it, it's a bit like well someone else will deal with that maybe the agents will still sort that out maybe the marketing people can come up with a vision but the problem then of course is often is that the big decisions have already been made um yes, yes. you that, know you that, still yeah. overlook yeah that's, sorry that, no no that last bit is quite an important part of a broader discussion about um so i i've been trying to explain uh it's, it's a bit of a leap but it's an interesting discussion as to why it is that an Australian developer based working in London can afford to do 40% affordable housing and the same developer in Sydney can do zero, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about residual land value. It's about getting in early enough into the, before they buy the land so that they, they have an idea of the total costs, the social obligations that they're gonna have to pay for before they buy the land. So they buy the land net of those obligations, right? So it's a kind mm -hmm. of, it's a political and cultural will and priority in, in London that the developer and the public sector work together to provide affordable housing. We lack that will at the moment in the Australian context. So what it means is people are forever going to developers after they bought the land in, in yes. at, yes. at the wrong stage of the process to ask them to do social obligations. So for example, they might in your world you know, a, a local authority might say to a developer has already bought the land and has done the appraisal and is thinking about, you know, how do it, how does it get 22% return on capital employed from this particular project? And then we say, can you please do a couple of million dollars worth of affordable housing or even an art project? Like we never thought of it before. Can you do it now? And it's like yes. af after the process rather than before or as part of the process. So are you getting into the early stages in your best 
in your dream world? Is that what, what it is? Yeah, and, and in fact, it's interesting. I, I can't see w w where it is at the moment, but we've started to win our first city projects. So what's kind of interesting is our, our work has scaled up and up and up. So, you know, we started off with a small development that's residential, and then we go to a large brownfield site, and it becomes a sort of creative district like Wembley or, or Greenwich Peninsula. Then we've been looking at regions, and now we've got our first city. And uh, and it's what's really exciting. Why do they want us? I mean, we're an arts cultural organisation. What on earth can we offer? Well, what we can do is we can translate the aspirations of the city and it, what it, how it sees itself in a world in which cities are competing with each other region by region and country by country for the same inward investment, the same keeping their knowledge workers, you know, trying to create places that people want to live and work and play. But what they're not good at doing is talking to developers and developers are come, you know, will come into a city and find a site, develop it or, or come up. Their architects will come up with a vision and then they'll go in for planning. It's all very adversarial. It's all quite hard, you know, and, and I know they do all the pre-apps and all the rest of it, but it's quite a tough kind of way of working. What we have, we've, because we've been successful in getting developers to be highly creative, to the point, even as I say, of moving. In fact, uh, you know, an Australian project in the Beulah project at um, in Melbourne, to move the Pompidou, you know, or, or some aspect of the Pompidou to a new site inside the building. So you've got developers who increasingly got an appetite to be creative and cultural, and can see that there's a market for that, and it helps with their sales or their rental schemes or whatever beginning to realize that they can't just go it alone on their little red line and they've got to start engaging with the communities around them. And that's a good thing because actually it makes a place real. So there is, there is this sort of opportunity now. And, and, and I think, so the market has decided in the UK anyway, the market has decided this is a good approach. And I think, but I, and I think other, other countries, other cities, perhaps where the, where the property industry is less sophisticated, still sees it in that sort of hardware kind of tough build it market it you know it's it's and i think it's it's out of step now with the world we're in it's interesting the uh, just an aside i i actually think that the australian property market is is in a sense too sophisticated uh, because it actually has got a brilliant formula in in place you know bank lending mm -hmm. The return on capital employed they know exactly what they're doing they exactly they've de-risked it you know, to a to an inch, as it were, yeah. but it's not left enough room sometimes for innovation, and it and it, but it is a brilliantly efficient and effective machine, and I, I think the conversation we're having is really important about uh, adding some layers to this and some nuance to this. But I think the other thing is this: you point out, I think, Mark, also the need for the public sector to be an intelligent commissioning body. You know, the uh, you know the, they they need to be coherent, consistent, rational. Imaginative about what they're expecting the private sector to do. I mean, the number of times I've seen in in Australia and the UK, you know, private developers want to do better work than the public sector will enable them to do. <laughs> it's kind of a that the planning controls or the you know community opposition or something prevents sometimes some of this. It's difficult. The, the biggest problem I think is is I you know, and I'm not an expert on this really. I still I still see myself pretty much as an outsider in that, you know, I'm allowed sort of allowed into one scheme, but there's another ninety that we don't you're go from, to. We and... forgot to tell people you are not really sophisticated at all. You're from Basildon oh. Price. Right? So... <laughs> You'd said you wouldn't tell anyone. I, I always I'm from Chelsea. Well, I'm, I'm, no. from, I'm from Porterweed, which is a far more cultured uh, origin. Like... I can tell you, listeners, Basildon, although Basildon's got a, an amazing History as what is as uh, Moscow on the Thames was that is that correct? <laughs> I don't know I've never heard that I think yeah. I think Basildon is a classic it was the one of the new towns uh, yeah, in yeah. the fifties yeah. and and um, it was but I had a great it was great people no, like, I'm sorry I've diverted you now we all... no no sorry no I'm like, I really it's funny I'm sort of I'm my inner Basildon is sort of coming no, out no, these days no, like, no, for no, years but I you were in the middle fun. of telling me something <laughs> I've forgotten what it was now we we um, were. We were talking about uh, private, public sector doing it. Oh, network. entrepreneurialism. Yeah, entrepreneurialism. Yeah. The, the, the thing that, so I come, you know, obviously I'm completely steeped in public sector. You know, I've studied, I've taught and, and so on. But the, the, what's great sometimes about working in the, in the private sector is just because you can go, I sometimes go into a room, I sort of 
do my tap dance, throw the hat into the ground and then stand there with my hand, arms out and they go, get out. And, and that's the end of it. And or, But sometimes they don't. They say, they say, Okay, what a good idea yeah 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 it's it's true the, yeah. i like that a lot the uh so um i need to uh, people will be asking me i, I, I can tell them, you know i want to work for future city you know, it sounds really interesting what kind of skills do you have in-house and then you work with associates i think but what do you what do you tend to have as your core skill set yeah. Yeah, so we're all, all, the team is predominantly from a sort of arts and cultural sector. So we'll have people who are in, interested in perhaps um, uh, uh, putting together creative industry hubs, um, uh, brokering, brokering sort of relationships with arts and cultural organisations, um, lots of kind of arts and design research abilities. Uh, so effectively, this it, the, the future city model kind of a, um, changes depending on the team at the time. So we, when we've had, we, we went through a phase where we were looking at technology, art and technology. We set up a partnership with the Pace Gallery called F Future Pace, and that was trying to encourage um, the art artists to come out of, or to come institutions to come out of the buildings and artists to, to work on big projects in the public realm. And that sort of led to, to the Illuminated River project. Uh, which is you know the bridges along the Thames being lit up by um, American artist uh, Leo Villarreal, um, and and also the Crossroad Culture Line with um, artists ah, working. I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind talking about this? Do you mind explaining that? Because so far, um, people might get the impression, not incorrectly, that you've done a lot of work with developers and it's like yeah. place based, but you've also done a lot of interesting work with infrastructure, right? So right. So so, so yeah. So so walk, walking back slightly to that's the yeah. beginning of Future City. So Future City is effectively started very much in the sort of traditional art consultancy role, but on a big scale. And what we began to realise was that there was huge amounts of money in infrastructure, architecture, and landscape. And I, I really tried hard to see whether we could get that some of that funding for artists to work in those teams. So we began to we're, so we're, we're a strategic business, but we're also a delivery business. So we're also we're at the, the, we pride ourselves on being able to deliver our strategies that they're not just a big thumping tome that you put on the shelf and tick a box. So we, you know, really, I, I use that uh, analogy of the bridge. You know, it, you 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 don't have any money for any arts or culture on your scheme, but you have a fifteen million pound footbridge. If I could persuade you that I could get a sculptor to make an object that you could walk across, could I have that money? And that's effectively how we began to do it. We began to just challenge why things are they the way they were. In fact, the Greenwich Peninsula project was really interesting because there was a huge energy centre. Um, which is to provide biomass energy for the for the scheme, and it's this fifty meter chimney of the size of Nelson's column, ugly as sin, and just a big aluminium kind of chimney. And what we did was sort of challenge what this energy centre stood for. And one of the things was let's make the chimney a sculptural idea. So we put it out as an international competition, and the artist Conrad Shawcross came back with an incredible design, beautiful piece of architecture in sculpture which actually is more efficient than the original design, is the same value and has, has gained huge amounts of attention as, a, as an artwork um, as much as its function. So, so that was how, so, we, so if you, in fact, with Grinshaw, I was just thinking actually when we were thinking about this, uh, this podcast, I was thinking actually, you know, we've worked on, I think, five, I think it's five major projects with Grinshaw where we've done exactly that. They, um, which I think which ones they are now. There was, yeah, we worked on Equinox, you know, on the um, Sustainability Dome in Expo. It's where we worked with Matt Collishaw on an amazing uh, piece called, um, I think it was called Equinox. And it's a huge zeotrope piece that sort of spins and creates this extraordinary cornucopia of kind of creatures and insects moving. It's sort of old Victorian technology with contemporary technology. We worked on Slipstream, and that's the classic one of where that was originally a landscape scheme, which was then cancelled for the new T2. The Elizabeth uh, terminal and we worked with Richard Wilson on the most incredible um you know twisting sculptural object 87 tons slung off the columns of the new terminal we did um, blue which is the the amazing sculpture by Studio Swine at the Eden project I was going to say you, you the Eden project a masterpiece designed by Grimshaw obviously so you, yes, you, 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 you've I, done some stuff there recently on that I think yeah, so the, so a piece by an amazing artist called Studio Swine, uh, with this vast uh, sculpture piece in the centre of one of the domes, 
which emits smoke rings, uh, which smell of extinction periods. I can't, there aren't words to describe this piece. You have to go and find it and, and watch it. It's the most amazing thing. You are listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, Culture and the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. I knew this would happen talking to you. A, I, unlike lots of people listening, I'll, I'm just envious of all this kind of imaginative stuff. And B, I want to be you. I, I knew this, <laughs> this would happen. Although I, I'm sure you're, you're as far worse a person than you look. So we all look well. I am. Pass off. I'm just... But, but I was going to say was the, um, so what I've heard so far, you see, so there aren't many, you, you, you one of the things I think you've, missed in your own story is that you you actually started using this word placemaking quite early on uh which culture-led placemaking yeah. i think because uh, it, it it was it's, it's, a, it's a, I, I mean it's a it's a difficult term isn't it it's a slightly devalued term but i still hang on to it because it still defines something that's different from architecture it's something that's different from landscape so it, at least I'm going to hang on to it for the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it will kill itself in the end. No, no, I think, but yeah, probably. But it, it definitely kind of give you a, a niche that uh, was a bit more than than had been allowed by the kind of planning parameters and by the, you know, as you say, the landscape kind of stuff. I find that very interesting. And also didn't marginalise you in the way that artistic advisor I would. I think that was really good. What I was going to say was the, what I think I also get is the, is that in a sense, you can do a conventional response to a tender kind of thing, but but it's almost great if you're involved early on in a strategic it, role, because that allows yeah. you to play a lot more with you know with with possibility. I think that's right. And and as I say, it's in, at the beginning, you just be able to sort of muscle in onto some of these big projects and be allowed to be there made you realize what you were capable of. At least now with our portfolio, at least thank yeah. goodness we can go into a room with a new client and say here's what we've done. And, it, you know, it's everything from, you know, Battersea Power Station and the Shard in London to, you know, to Boston Creative District. And we've got plenty of, of examples of what it can do, but also the values, ah. the value for yeah. planning, community, you know, marketing and so on. And, and the other thing I was going to say is that when I started doing this, I, I, I'm sure somebody will say this is not, you know, you're just make, you're making it sound like you're, you're the kind of originator of this. But I genuinely think I've worked with over 200 developers. I think at the beginning, 2007, culture was not really seen as a, as a valid, a relevant part of, of development. Uh, development across, you know, residential, mixed use, commercial, you name it. Now, you roll on to 222, 2022, it's everywhere. You know, business investment districts, you've got your new one in Sydney coming, the waterfront one. Culture instead, it's not just about keep it safe and keep it clean. The old bid functions. It's now about we're going to help you create destination. We're going well, to I was going to say, I, I think it's almost a shift in a, in real estate language from location, which is a rather inhuman word, to place. And I think that the people, they sort of markets and governments, all of them, realize that people like places rather than just a house or location so you're part of a wider discussion it seems to me about you know and even that word livability you know the the it's part of a wider discussion that has been good i think uh in the last 10 years that it said that it's rather like you know i i come from a protestant background so i think like you know man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word of god you know the the there is something extra required to attract people but also come back to our earlier point some locations might need an extra cell right mm -hmm. so that the to, to reimagine them because people see them through prejudice so they need to see them through a new a new light and i think you did you've done a lot of that i think well when i when we first started you, you i think you could you would certainly in the in the residential development schemes they they would they could sell these developments in hong kong uh, you know investors would be buying you know sometimes whole blocks you know and it was there was a sense you didn't really need to work that hard as long as they they would describe the product, describe the scheme, but that it's just not possible anymore. You cannot be in a, a city. I, I'm very interested in this idea of the city of culture, and then in, within that, the sort of city districts of culture, the borough of culture, neighbourhoods of culture, downtown, the kind of idea of creative places, and we most you know Western cities particularly are, are pushing for on, on creative industries, the, the cultural economy. 
is, is massive. And so you, in a way, you, if you now develop something where, where it has no identity, it's anonymous, it's, it's the, you know, the products that you're using could be anywhere, you know, spin someone around and say, where am I? And not know where I am. You, and I, I think finally, it's the market has said, look, um, if it's millennials, for instance, the millennials are all after certain, certain ways of, of living, certain types of lifestyle. And you, if you want to provide it, the other, the other big thing actually is the build to rent revolution really here right. is that look, good or bad, the inability now to buy first-time yeah, yeah. buyers, yeah. it means that the beats, the, the rental market is huge, but also that different players are coming into that market that are not the traditional developers. This is a very important trend, and I think we're seeing it in Australia as well. I, we've got a, a, we've been doing some thinking and some work with uh, LNG, and uh, you know that they've become one of the biggest uh, house builders effectively in the in the country because it's new mar new money, new sources. I. When I was working for the government uh, back in the day, uh, for the Labour government back in the UK, I was, we were looking for new sources of uh, investment into the housing sector rather than just the, the house builders. You know, house builders can do their stuff, but we'd also like somebody new to come in offering a new kind of approach and a new models. And so it sounds as though built to rent is is that, and also it's high higher quality management of rental stock. Um, well, the yeah. the big thing actually as well, I, the thing I find particularly interesting is if in, historically, if you're built to sell, yeah. then yeah. effectively you, all that happens for us is you know you've let the management company that you choose comes in and just runs it up to the whatever level of yeah. you know um, whatever they're being paid. You know, if they're being paid well, they're probably going to manage it better than if they're paid badly. The difference with build to rent is that the developer has to stay there. Yeah. The, the, the model is to you know that you you don't really don't want anyone to go because then you have to the room has to be cleaned and everything has to be changed around you've yeah, got yeah. to get someone else in yeah. so it's it's two things it's one is that you how do i keep someone there well i need to provide more than just space yeah, yeah. um and and that and also i don't know have i got the right tools to run something as opposed to build it yeah. and move on yeah. see i like this a lot because one of the things i discovered you know as a housing advisor in government is that the best model for um, the quality of place is not the build it and bugger off model of the traditional you know build to sell kind of model but the the places that actually were interesting distinguishes where there was some kind of long-term engagement with the place model yeah. so like you know it might be in the private sector it might be the the the, the grosvenor estates you know the big squares in london are, are brilliant because they've you know long-term yes. long-term ownership they've had pattern booked they are you know there's an identity there and they've had a self-interest in, in keeping the quality going and the same i think with the uh you know office builders are actually have a long-term interest in in quality because they you know they can't afford for their asset to, to to generate and i think this is very interesting also what you raise i think and i'm very keen that you've had this conversation with us so far because it shows that this your agenda and your work is not a marginal kind of thing it's it's getting pretty core to the quality of the offer uh yeah. in the marketplace yeah. right yeah. and i think that's yeah. for me quite an important discovery build to rent you, you using a, a cultural you know uh placemaking consultancy that's interesting right so so you're not you're you're kind of mainstreaming there market well, yeah well if you in fact if you, one of our most recent projects was east village uh let's get living that's the was the Where's old athlete village uh, it's yes, Stratford. which which i which you know please i helped i was the advisor to the great lendlease on building ah, them, on building that i worked for uh, dan labad who was the chief executive of lendlease yeah. in the uk and we deliberately called it east east uh, uh, village because we thought it's it's um it's well we like that at east village because it's got a new york kind of so that area but also because in a way that i hope was not like it wasn't anti new one but we, we wanted to give it a slightly different identity um that that wasn't just of that place but was of a kind of um an appeal uh but it still had the word east in it which is very which is very important anyway go on yeah, so uh, again, when I earlier I was talking about Wembley Park and locking Wembley Park as a, as a big build to rent development into something much bigger, and that was that idea of the Western London West London Alliance. So what we're saying to the client is, you obviously see your red line, but you are part of something much bigger, and you need to be part of it, and therefore you need to make gestures that that lock you into that. So the same in the east. So Stratford obviously is uh, post Olympics 
huge amount of money invested in the East Bank and on, on various assets. The, you've got the velodrome and, and the stadium and, and the new park and so on. And it's, you know, I actually really like it. I cycle there and in lockdown, we used to cycle on the canals. It's, I find it a really interesting place. You've got Westfield and the international, LN Lease's International Quarter. But in the middle of it, you've got East Village, which is the old athletes village. And that is a predominantly, excuse me, predominantly residential uh, scheme, but built to rent. So what we were proposing in our strategy was to say, you need to be almost like the village green in the center of all this activity. So all these roads lead to Rome. So how do you connect to the velodrome with its cycling? Well, have a pro cycling position. How do you link to Westfield? Well, don't try and compete with them, but maybe you show input independence into your ground floor units. So what we were doing, in fact, was connecting, trying to connect everything up. Even areas, actually, I think we'll talk about in a little while, co-creation of getting community involved in actually thinking about these places, not just using them after someone else has decided what they're going to get. So one of the big ideas was um, we're very interested in, I hate that term pop-up, but it, it, you know, it was this sort of thing to put something in an empty shop and we all, we're all excited by it. And it kind of served its purpose originally. But what's more interesting is the idea of a temporary seeded uh, space for seeding ideas and I, I really feel very strongly about this that developers are missing a trick at the time by not having a kind of space where they can try things out that can go into the permanent development later so we set one up there um amazing thing like the e20 lab with um a designer christopher rayburn who's the um, head of uh, rayburn uh, fashion design at and he sort of curated uh, a, a really fantastic set of uh, fashion designs, fashion organizations um, who took over a space, uh, a sort of large shell and core uh, ground floor commercial space. And originally it was just meant to be a six month program. And we had people like the British Fashion Council, Rayburn Design, Sustainable Angle, Lonehood, D-Lab, these groups coming in. And, but it's been so successful that it's now been a year since we started. It's now got its own independent life, as it were. We're no longer part of it. And that's going to lead to how that feeds into the permanent buildings on the next phase of the development. So it's been a real, I, I feel this, this idea of, you know, going back to a strong narrative, owning an idea, tying yourself into things beyond the red line. It's got to be the way forward, and and I think they've they've done a quite a good job. It'd be interesting to see how that translates into more permanent um, assets and ground floor uses. So, so I want to go to the sort of the, the the last phase of the discussion in a way, which is really about what trends you're seeing in the kind of your market, as it were. Although you're very idiosyncratic, but what trends you're seeing in cities, particularly this whole discussion about whether CBDs are are reinventing themselves they're becoming more mixed use and we actually may see uh them becoming as they say central experience districts a bit more whether you're seeing that kind of thing beginning to happen and indeed whether you're involved in, in anything which is reinventing places i think what I, what comes out of it so far mark for me by the way is the the need for people not just to be reduced to their business models all the time but to, but to find some space to have this kind of creative creative think tankery that, that, that your, your people like you offer, you know, that the, that, and actually, you know, a, 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 like a couple of weeks spent with you guys thinking through what you can do will add more value, you know, and it's worth the pause. It's worth the kind of creative pause to see what we can do. And I also like the idea, and I've always tried to make my own career a bit like this, that instead of seeing a railway line or a piece of infrastructure as one thing, see it as five possible things that you can do of that one thing you know and the and the impact that you can have we haven't talked about that but i i'm sure you're interested also in the impact to some degree measuring the impact of what you do at some of it in value terms i would think about what you do um but look let, let's just have a conversation about what trends you what are you picking up you started a conversation by saying you're busy and very busy which is was great what are you busy doing what, what are you noticing the kinds of yeah, things that's a, coming well, out it's of interesting. yeah i, I so I, I was trying to think about this before we, we, we sort of linked up and because there was so much going on, I was trying to make some sense of it. And I think, so the things that, the, so these are the areas I feel where we're, we seem to be doing a lot of work. The first is the city of London. So the city of London is a couple of weeks ago announced this new idea of the destination city. And it's, a, it's got a new appointment who's been brought in from the West End company, which is a bid. 
to turn or to help turn City of London from a a financial district or financial city to a creative destination, a cultural space, with everything encouraging more tourists, more residential, more uh, bringing the neighbouring boroughs into the city. For those people who understand, this is the financial centre, the square mile of London, it's got its own governance, it's not the it's not Greater London, and it's no. one very important piece of real estate at the centre of our of our city. Of London. It's it's really it's, it's absolutely revolutionary. You know, if ten years ago you, you would have been on a sort of Wednesday evening at seven eight o'clock, there would be absolutely no one in sight. The weekends it would be literally shut down, would be shut down. So what you're seeing here, it, it, I mean, when you get the city of London as a major global financial district saying that we are so we we are we so badly want this place to be a kind of living, breathing, twenty four hour creative place that we're going to put some big measures in, like the culture mile. You spoke to Tim Jones on a previous podcast, and we're working on. I think we have nine projects in the city at the moment, and part of that is because the planning uh, authority now have started to drive this idea of the developer providing meaningful cultural strategies embedded into their schemes not culture washing if you like but actually kind of integrated into into their thinking so that's that's been an amazing change so what you're so so where that takes me is the the idea of boroughs london boroughs and 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 other boroughs in other cities seeing themselves as having cultural identity. So, you, so you're starting to see that kind of scale, scaling thing. Then you're seeing cities increasingly being independent. So London, once Birmingham described itself as, as, as the UK's second city, that would, they would never use that term now. That you've, you're, what you're seeing is the rise of the independent city, places like Bristol, um, Birmingham, Manchester, you're looking at the regional areas now starting to the, the, the Northern Powerhouse, Midlands Engine and so on. So there's a sense of independence and how do you show your independence? Well, actually culture is a catalyst for that. It's not necessarily the answer, but it's a catalyst. It says we'll draw out what makes us unique and we'll somehow present it to the world, our markets, our green landscape, our heritage and history our historic ports, uh, all these things that make cities great. How do you describe them? So there is this kind of rise of this sort of narrative idea, draw out a sort of cultural story, but then feed it into actions which are not cultural, infrastructure, architecture, landscape, investment, communities. So that I think that's really, really interesting. The rise of the bids, so the business investment districts, and that we, we did a, a huge piece of work for the Heart of London bid in West End, uh, pre and during lockdown, which was linked into this, you know, West End's uh, sort of role as a, as a sort of destination. So that's become a, a, a huge area for us. Um, and then there's sort of micro trends, really, which I think are really interesting, which just be getting going, are things like co-creation, having developers having the kind of confidence to allow the community to be involved in the design of these places. And, you know, we've all seen historically where the consultation was you know a, a village hall with a model in the middle uh, and then ticking a box for how many people turned up and saying you know 11 people turned up and 90 percent like the scheme <laughs> you know that i, I hope that's going to end and that the communities can be involved in co-creating landscape crashes the, the, the use of that of those developments and also you know tying those developments into the community if the communities exist around them or if they don't creating community-driven solutions, not hardware-driven solutions, which is, again, historically the development sectors has, has done. So though the, 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 the work we have at the moment are city-wide projects, um, regional projects, um, district projects, and then development projects. And, and the beginning of an increase in the public sector coming to us to help us sort of almost bridge the, that language between the public private so I, I like the fact that you've got a kind of spatial hierarchy in your thinking at the moment about culture at different levels if, if you like and, and how that can be put into a planning tools actually i guess at different levels there's also i think the need for this to infect the way that public sector thinks about its role you know and what it wants to achieve out of the planning and development process because i think what drives me crazy 
is when it's it's formulaic on the public sector side, you know, let alone the private sector side, the public sector side, that they can both drive each other up rather than each other crazy, can't they? You know, they can both drive each other up in terms of quality. Um, I mean, I said just to say, I, I sometimes worry that I'm here as the evangelist for the London Borough of Newham. But one of the reasons why it was great, this great council, you know, uh, full of beasts in the jungle uh, politically, who I loved, you know, is that they had a very strong idea of what they wanted from the development process, right? Yes, so yes. they wanted like universities to come to, to Newham, you know, and they were, they wanted high quality jobs to come to Newham. They wanted, you know, affordable housing to come to Newham. They wanted the Olympics to come to it. They, 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 they almost commissioned the future by having clarity about what they wanted from the private sector. So they, well, so they've, even, they've even got the mayors, the, the, the um, camp, uh, GLA have moved, haven't they, to Newham now? Yeah, sorry, different. exactly. So, so for mm -hmm. me, part of what you're saying is about, in a sense, educating the appetite of the public sector, right? My main, my main criticism, I mean, it's not even a criticism, really. It's just, uh, you know, obviously, this is a really interesting conversation, and we have done a lot of things, but we're just a, a tiny, you know, when given the scale of, of this development sector. I think the thing I've always found difficult, and I honestly don't know whether, whether how it will change, is I'll give you just a very brief story. Yeah, when, sure. So in 2007, the first very the large project I went to, I went into a room with about 20 people in and we went, as I think I said, I went around the room, everyone said what they did. And then it was, I just you know, did my ridiculous, I'm an art consultant thing. But 22, uh, 15 years later, that room's the same, you know, and those, the, the people in the room are the same. So what that says to me is that the world is changing out, you know, out of all recognition, yeah. but the, the, it's the, it's dripping into a room that's already established. There's, there doesn't seem to be a new seat at that table that sort of reflects the world we're in. So there doesn't seem to be a new discipline. What happens is the people in the room just absorb it in. So, you know, an arch architect will say, look, ESGs, that's all we hear about now. We must become yeah. experts on ESGs. Um, landscape artists, so I keep hearing the idea of culture and sculpture and art and so on. So maybe we should be that. So and and you know, as they their businesses, that's what they're going to do. But you don't, and that's what worries me is it's very still very the diversity issue is still massive. Um, you know the kind of the, the structure and the formula of development is very linear, isn't it? Get the planning, well, yeah. And build. My my, my optimism yeah. is part, my optimism that you're. I'm more optimistic than you, but we're well, not optimistic. I am optimistic about the following, though. I think something like this: that the COVID and the and the and the uh, the changes that have happened. It's a bit. I feel as though they're much more radical, really, than people understand. But yeah. it's taken a while for us to understand this. So it's rather like the famous idea of the guy who goes in for the operation to remove his leg, and for years afterwards thinks he can still feel his toes. Right. Yeah. I think that we've had our legs shot away in terms yeah. of traditional models and our understanding of what the CBDs do, our understanding of what the suburbs do. Our understand I think that I actually think that we're going to have a much more creative, challenging, but creative phase ahead. And the question I want to put to you. So I think business models have been dissolving. And that, yeah, I, and, I agree with that. And, that. and the governments don't quite know what to commission. The private sector doesn't quite know what product to build. And I think that some of the gap is being filled by people talking about metrics and ESG and, you know, climate metrics and stuff without, without, you know, it's not yet clear to me, but I think that's an opportunity. But here's my question to you at the end, right? So we do seem to be seeing, you know, something like about uh, all, all the major American cities lost uh, a percentage of their population during COVID, right? Um, we've seen rents, a very interesting JLL survey showing internationally how rents dropped in in cbds and actually quite radically so in some cities sydney had quite a serious drop in its in its office yeah. rents yeah. so you you begin to see that there are some long-term trends hybrid working we're going to have a, a different city center model on our hand the last 30 to 40 years have seen an agglomeration of knowledge workers in in city centers uh, financial and professional services drive up values and all that kind of stuff that strikes me as that phase is, is fading it seems to me no I, I think that's really interesting I, I i agree with everything you're saying in fact and i heard this expression once and i can't remember where i or, or where so where i read it but there was a, a in the first world war the decisions made in the first world war were made by by older men from a previous century yeah so in effect the, the people they were fighting, fighting the last they, as they say they were fighting the the previous war 
in the they were the fighting the British war. So you had you know yeah. elderly white sort yeah. of running, and then you had a younger cohort who were out there who were doing the fighting yeah. using new technology in order to, to do it, but in an old fashioned way. And I, I think in a way that, and I think someone described it as the V of history, you know, where, and, and I think that's kind of, that's what's happening now. It's the systems are still the same systems, but the, 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 the um, needs are completely different and the systems are creaking in order to try and sort of deal with it. So they're still using the same team around the table while saying, in fact, all you know, retail shopping is kind of collapsing. Um, People are leaving the cities to go on to, to, for a better quality of life. The, the great resign, as the FT described, there's all these big societal changes. And let's not even talk about the inflation and energy costs. So, well, yeah. what's going to do in the in the autumn? So it's it's and that's what I, that's what I think is interesting. Is, is I think we're not there anywhere near it, but the system's going to be so creaky because of the way the world has changed. And that that's been. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to end, but with one last proposition to you about that, which is that the that that world has been dissolving, and you know, uh, like Gramsci famously said, you know, the old is not yet died, and the new cannot yet be born. You know, and in the middle of that, there's some morbid symptoms, but there's also some hopeful signs of of big change ahead. And one of the things I wanted to put to you is that the as a as a concluding thought is that. Um, we'll have an awful lot of legacy buildings left behind in our in our transformed CBDs. They can't just be left empty. And some people will fill them again because rents have get cheaper. So there'll be the usual a sort of a, a kind of churn rather than just a, a wilderness at our city centre. What do you think? What do you think about the argument that um, we will need to attract people back into the city centres to do something, and that to do that? The cultural agenda will be more important rather than less. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I think you've said it. I, 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 you know, we, I think one thing that we've, we, we have discovered through lockdown, one, one of the great things it did was suddenly engage us back into community, into friends and family, into public spaces and parks, into hobbies and doing things. It's, it absolutely ruined the whole idea of, thank God, of the commuter uh, kind of idea of having all going to work at exactly the same time and then the, the, everything being empty for the rest of the day. We, if you're lucky enough to be in a business where you don't need to physically be in the factory, then you know that you can uh, work in at home or in other places. So the, the, those things have made a massive difference. And what they've done, I think, is liberated cities and large towns, small cities to to really start seeing themselves as having sort of creative cultural energy and and, be, and encouraging them to be bold about that. And I really, I mean, working in Birmingham at the moment with Hammerson, um, and, on, and that's such a fantastic city. I, I, until I started going there and, and working, I never realized just how amazing that place is. And it's so everything, it's such a beautiful city. It's so interesting. It's got such incredible history, industrial history and so on. But at the same time, you've got a great mayor who's really sort of investing heavily in it. And that's happening, you know, the same in Leeds, the same in Manchester, in Exeter, um, Portsmouth and, and um, uh, Southampton and other cities really starting to think about their own identity. So I feel I am optimistic in that sense that, you know, that they're changing societal approaches to, to leisure, culture, work and life, maybe have addressed this kind of crazy globalised globalization idea back in, you know, 10 years ago. I think I, I, I'll end on that by saying also that the you see some signs of this, though, like Newcastle in New South Wales is is got sort of a, a a bit of a momentum going, and Wollongong south of of Sydney, and that they they begin they've got their own identities and they've got something to offer. Uh, I think the question mark might be over the mega cities, but I think the the challenge for the challenge for all of them is to use this moment to uh, to revive and to revitalize and to renew, and that the best cities will discover ways collaborating cross-sectoral employing people like you to, to sort of really focus their their identity in the perception of, of key markets and I'm pretty optimistic that, that that's forcing people this whole crisis is actually forcing people to be more creative and more innovative and more urgent about their uh, about their towns and cities. We did we talk about you know obviously the social media and of course the difference of course now is people are way more knowledgeable about the world around them and are more able to to do things and to respond to things in a way they couldn't before you know we you know, I've been on projects where local the local groups have set up their own website, their own alternative schemes, their own uh, you know, their, their communication systems are better than the developers. You know, and that that's the difference that so you just cannot hide. 
So, in a, and that can be as also a positive thing because you know, obviously, you should want to. You should want to be part of something much bigger. And I think most of the future city jobs we've always tried. You know, as I say, we're not perfect in any in any shape or form. We try to we're trying to work within the system that's there and and adapt and and so on. But I I really believe that, that you know that it's time for new models and and a much more collaborative, partnership based approach to development. And that I mean that's the sector I'm in. So I think the boy from Ponape says to a boy from Basildon, uh, we, we didn't do that. We didn't do that bad. And uh, it's it a good chat. And uh, I think you're uh, reasonably cultured uh, uh, in your in your own way. By the way, you're an artist. We forgot to mention this. There's, there's uh -huh. art behind which I... But look, Mark, Davey, we could talk for a long time. We're not going to. That's the end of it. But thank you very much indeed. That was great. You've been listening to the second series of the Grimshaw podcast, Culture and the City, with your host, Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in this series from your favourite podcast provider. <laughs>